Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. In Christ we pray. Amen. So, my disk is almost full. I know this because my computer keeps telling me so, with a little rectangular box up in the corner that keeps popping up. It used to pop up maybe once a month, and then it was more like once a week. Now it's every few days. It's on right now. This doesn't seem to be a good direction, so I googled it once, you know, what happens if your disk drive fills up? It read like a list of drug side effects. Your computer may experience stalling, freezing, crashing, bloody nose, seizures, and sudden death. So I had our IT person take a look at it, but all he suggested was that I delete as many old documents and photos as I could. Even that PowerPoint presentation I knocked out of the park in 2005 that I was saving. But reluctantly, I have done all these things and still no luck. That little box just keeps popping up. Which has me wondering if maybe my computer is making a more general commentary about the state of my life. In fact, I suspect that a lot of us are walking around with little rectangular boxes saying that your disk is almost full. It's pretty easy these days, as fast as the world is moving, political and economic anxieties, a new world crisis at every turn, and personally, all the stress of family tensions and health issues and overfull schedules, even fun things like finding time with a friend feel like trying to squeeze in one more thing sometimes. I'm reminded of that New Yorker cartoon with the man on the phone saying, no, Thursday's out. How about never? Is never good for you? Sometimes it feels like that. And in response to our inundated lives, I wonder if you have felt like I have inundated with articles and books offering tools and strategies for how to create space and to optimize the time that we have. How to be more efficient at work. 20 meals in less than 20 minutes. Workouts you can do while you're on Zoom calls. Life hacking is all the rage. And that's great. But I'm also beginning to see spiritual practices being included in this. Right? How five minutes of silence can lower your heart rate. How meditation can make you more patient with your kids. How churchgoers live longer. Which is true, by the way, so good for you. But this is not what religion is about. Prayer is not a technique. Pastors are not motivational speakers. The Bible is not a self-help book. Because faith isn't really about us. Instead of helping us to optimize our lives, faith is about helping us to see through that tendency to put ourselves at the center of everything. 
Faith helps us to see, as Paul says, that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. Or to come back to the computer analogy, our spiritual lives are less about each of us being individual laptops and more about our connection to the cloud. I really wish I was connected to the cloud right now. In our scripture this oh there you go. In our scripture this morning, Jesus has this strange conversation in the middle of the night with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom of God, which I suggested two weeks ago, maybe a way of being in and seeing the world around us, in order to see the kingdom of God, we have to be born a second time. We have to be born, Jesus says, from above. Strange language. But I think Jesus is telling Nicodemus that we have to exist, that we do exist, at two levels, really. That in a sense, we have two bodies. We are born into our physical bodies, our individual identities and lives. But we also have a spiritual body, a self not born of human flesh, but of the great love that we call God. And the journey of faith is about coming to realize ourselves as being sustained by that great love, coming to know that we are most deeply, that we are that great love. And that this is what it means to be born again, to be born from above. And the great mistake that we make is that we think all we are is these small selves, isolated and individual, separated. If we don't go on that journey to be born a second time, then these small selves, they, they become all important, right? And we fill our days trying to prove ourselves, trying to secure our safety, trying to protect what's ours. Why wouldn't we if we thought that's all that we are? Here's Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, talking about this in a different way 60 years ago. He says, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the person I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about this person. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. I love that line. To be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. To think that we are only our private selves is the root of so many of our problems. Merton says, all sin starts from the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality of life. 
to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus I use up my life in the desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. And I wind experiences around myself and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world, as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. Isn't that a powerful image? All of us trying to cover ourselves with our experiences and our achievements in order to make our egoic selves visual, visible and real. I'm, I always picture it like trying to cover myself in little post-it notes with my accomplishments written on them and the ways that I think myself better than others. And, but they just keep falling off, right? And I just have to keep making new ones. And isn't this, isn't this part of why our discs get so full? It isn't just that the world is coming at us so fast. It's because we are trying so hard to make our small selves matter more than they really do. But to be born again, to become aware of and trust in God's grace as something that moves in and through us and that cannot be taken away, This is the process. This is the journey. It's a long journey for most of us. Many of us don't go through it at all because we are so invested in protecting these small selves, these physical bodies and egoic selves. We've always thought that this is all we are. And in order to take hold of that new, larger sense of self, we have to loosen our grip on our identity as a small self only. We have to be willing to trust this deeper truth enough to let go of thinking that's all we were. I think this is what Jesus means when he says, those who want to save their lives, they will lose them. They'll lose out on real life. But those who will give up their lives, for my sake, will find them. Are we willing to worry a lot less about our lives at one level in order to enjoy the grace of God at another level? Because here's the thing. At that larger level, at that grace-filled level of trusting God, we can actually hold our smaller selves with compassion and tenderness because our larger selves know that it is not easy to be in this world. And in those moments when we lose touch with ourselves as God's beloved, the world is indeed scary and stressful. But seen from our spiritual self, many of those same stresses no longer appear quite so important. Not that they aren't real, they're just not the final word on who we are. For we are learning that we are God's beloved. 
And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And the deep truth is we are not isolated, fragile individuals. We are a part of a great web of grace, held together by a love that flows in and through all things. Learning to trust that, that's the real life hack.